the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Hundreds of thousands march in the nation's capital in support of Israel. Rachel Goldberg, the mother of one of the hostages. We hostage families have lived in torment. Israel President Isaac Herzog. Let us cry out, never again is now. We also saw a strong message of American support for Israel's effort to actually defeat Hamas. Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. The calls for a ceasefire are outrageous. We'll hear from a former member of the IDF after a brutal six weeks for his family. The worst six weeks of my life. Plus, President Biden meets Chairman Xi in San Francisco. We maintain the agreement that there is a one-China policy. Congressman Mike Gallagher weighs in. Cleaning up the streets of San Francisco for his friend, a genocidal dictator, Xi Jinping. Suddenly, all notions of equity and social justice magically disappear. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. It's good to be back. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me, please, on Twitter at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well at Town Hall Review. We'll begin in Washington, D.C., where 300,000 people gathered on the mall in a march for Israel on Tuesday this week. I was there. I showed up early. People from all over the country were represented. Cleveland stands with Israel, read one sign. Philly stands with Israel, another. Houston stands with Israel. They were everywhere. I think it was a marker in American history. America stands with Israel. After the brutal and barbaric attack on Israel on 10-7, of course, We've seen a wave of anti-Semitism erupt unlike anything our nation has seen before. On Tuesday, the soul of the nation responded. Rachel Goldberg's son, Hirsch, was taken hostage by Hamas on 10-7. Rachel's been a leader in the efforts to bring him home and all the other hostages. I am the mother of Hirsch Goldberg Poland, a wounded civilian American-Israeli kidnapped from the music festival on October 7th. Right now, we, how we are living is hard to describe to you. We hostage families have lived the last 39 days in slow motion torment. For 38 nights, none of us have slept the real sleep of the before. We all have third-degree burns on our souls. Our hearts are bruised and seeping with misery. But the real soul's suffering are those of the hostages. And they want to ask everyone in the world, all the screamers, the indifferent, the experts, the academics, the knowledgeable, the passives, the perfectly outraged, the righteous, the indignant, the haters, the leaders, the lovers, the every single one of us. Why? 
Why is the world accepting that 240 human beings from almost 30 countries have been stolen and buried alive? These children of God range in age from nine months to 87 years. They are Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and Hindu. Why are they being left underground in the dirt? Abigail Moore Idan is three years old. She watched her parents get murdered in front of her and was then kidnapped. And she would like me to ask the world, why are you letting her stay in the dark in her trauma buried in the earth's crust? And Joshua Molel, who is a Tanzanian African graduate student studying agribusiness, would like for me to ask you why somehow his life actually doesn't matter. The world must prepare what we will say to them. There was a Christian German who hid Jews during the Holocaust, and he was asked why he did such a heroic and dangerous act. His answer was simple. At least I will know when I die and stand before God, he will not ask me what he asked Cain in the Bible. Where were you when your brother's blood cried out from the ground? What the world needs to start thinking about today is, what will your excuse be? Bring them home now. Bring them home now. We also heard from Isaac Herzog, the president of Israel, who addressed the crowd in D.C. from the Western Wall in Jerusalem. The Hamas savagery and crimes against humanity bring to my mind, as President Biden has said, the worst rampages of ISIS. We, the people of Israel, are grateful to President Biden, his administration, and so many members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. The moral clarity and bold actions of our American allies demonstrate the depth of the U.S.-Israel alliance, which is stronger than ever before. Since October 7th, Israeli society and the Jewish people have truly come together in unison. We feel our hearts beat as one. We hear our brothers' and sisters' blood crying out to us from the ground, Once again in Jewish history, we demand, let our people go. Whilst our loved ones are held captive in Gaza and our soldiers are fighting for our beloved Israel, Jews all over the world are assaulted for being Jewish. The hatred, the lies, the brutality, 
the disgraceful outbursts of ancient anti-Semitism are an embarrassment to all civilized people and nations. Jews in America must be safe. Jews all over the world must be safe. Also addressing the crowd was our nation's new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. He made clear what support for Israel means. These Israeli hostages were kidnapped in their homes by barbaric Hamas terrorists for simply being Jewish and living in Israel. As Prime Minister Netanyahu says so well, this is a fight between good and evil, between light and darkness, between civilization and barbarism. The calls for a ceasefire are outrageous. It's been a very difficult six weeks for our Jewish friends in Israel, and yes, our Jewish friends at home. Jews around the globe, in fact. Yoni Tidi served his time with the IDF and the border police. He now resides here in the U.S., so much of his family still live and serve in Israel. For nearly two decades now, Yoni's been a regular on my program. We caught up this week. Yoni, this must be an extremely difficult six weeks for you. The worst six weeks of my life. October 7th started with word of what was going on. And by the 8th, we knew that we had multiple dead in the family and one wounded. Uh, the one wounded serves in the top anti-terror unit in Israel. He jumped in his car, headed south, his private car, his own car. He had left his kit at the base because he wasn't on call out or anything. He had a Glock pistol, four spare magazines, and he ran into 20 terrorists, and he killed them all, got wounded, went back to the, had to drive himself to the hospital. When the doctor said he needed surgery and he'd be in the hospital for two to three weeks, he checked himself out of the hospital, and he's still in the fight. Thank God yeah. we don't have anybody in our family that was kidnapped and taken into Gaza. You know, so it's been a horrible time. The only thing I can equate it to is the Holocaust, because we have the wanton murder of Jews out in the open with no shame. The Nazis at least had some shame and hid the camps in, in Poland. But yesterday... Something happened. Hugh Hewitt went to Washington, D.C. Hugh Hewitt is not a Jew. Hugh Hewitt is a devoted Christian. And I remember years ago, decades ago, as a young man, when I first moved to Israel, I went to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Israel, and I read about the righteous Gentiles. And yesterday, in my book, and I pray in God's book, your name was added to the list of oh, righteous well, Gentiles. You. you know, there were tens because of thousands of Gentiles up. there yesterday, Yoni. Tens of thousands well, of Gentiles. I only know you. I only know you. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, for the sake of my children in Israel and my three grandbabies, thank you very much. Because uh, was, people like you, among you know the 10,000 that went or whatever it was, you stood up when at the same time, in the streets of America, Arabs, Marxists have band together, and they're saying, Jews, Jews, you can't hide. We're going to bring you genocide. They're calling for the murder of my yes. three-month-old grandbaby. And yes. in the face of that, Hugh Hewitt stood up and went to Washington, D.C., took time from his life, and went and stood for good. 
and, and, and I appreciate that, Yoni, but I want to make sure people know. Mary Catherine Ham, Guy Benson, tens of thousands of Gentiles were there because Israel is a righteous nation, and we have to stand with our Democratic ally that is now— fa- and I, I got to ask you before we run out of time, Yoni, I'm worried about time. Do you think Hezbollah dare attack Israel right now? Because, boy, is that country ready to lay it on Iran if they do. I pray to God they do. I pray to God they do. You know what? We've kicked this can down the road because we've had inept, cowardly leadership in Israel. Let's solve it. And that means Iran also. Let's solve it. I read Michael Orr something. Ahud Barak called on Obama people years ago. To use the B-1s and the B-52s to take out the oil and the nuclear programs in Iran. If the United States would step up in one night, they could destroy Iran as a threat. And then peace would reign in the Middle East for a long time. Because the little secret that nobody wants to talk about in the West is the reality is the Arabs hate the Palestinians with a passion. They're not going to come help these people this time. Coming up. Cleaning up the streets of San Francisco for his friend, a genocidal dictator, Xi Jinping. Suddenly, all notions of equity and social justice magically disappear. President Biden meets Chairman Xi when the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. San Francisco this week has been the host for the meeting of the APAC, the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Group. The APAC meeting themselves, though, really took a back seat to the meeting of President Biden with Chinese dictator Xi Jinping. I reiterate what I've said since I've become president, what every previous president of late has said, that uh, we, uh, we maintain the agreement that there is a one China policy. There's really no one better to listen to on this than Chairman Mike Gallagher, who helms the bipartisan House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. Gallagher was my guest this week. Are you back from San Francisco yet? I am. Yep. I went there this weekend and uh, spoke at a a human rights event for a bunch of uh, Chinese Americans who are protesting Xi Jinping's visit. You know, a lot of things going on in preparation for APEC, you know, beyond the absurdity of Gavin Newsom cleaning up the streets of San Francisco in order to make it look good for his friend, a genocidal dictator, Xi Jinping, which illustrates the absurdity of forcing San Francisco residents every day to live with open air drug use, rampant homelessness and human feces. But when a communist dictator comes to town, suddenly all notions of equity and social justice magically disappear. But also, uh, of course, uh, my hope is that President Biden brings up issues like China's continued threats to Taiwan, human rights issues like China's jailing of the Hong Kong 47 and Jimmy Lai. I think the best that could possibly come out of this is the establishment of some sort of crisis communication channel. Think a military to military communication line. The Trump administration tried to set that up and the CCP refused. Biden's been trying and uh, the CCP has refused. But really, two years of diplomacy 
have led to this meeting. We've sent multiple cabinet officials over there. We've delayed defensive action. We've taken our foot off the gas when it comes to the CCP, just so Biden can sit down with Xi Jinping or go for a walk in the woods around San Francisco. So the stakes are very high, I think, for the Biden administration to show some tangible progress. And I'm worried that they'll commit to some meaningless working group sing kumbaya. And the result is that we just, you know, we'll have less energy behind our ability to push back on China's aggression. You know, Chairman, I asked three questions at last week's debate, fleet, size and makeup. I asked about TikTok and I asked about opioids. I don't think we're going to any progress at all on any of these things. Chris Christie had the right answer, by the way, about submarines. That's what we need to build. TikTok needs to be banned and we need to hold China accountable for this. But the news comes this morning that we're going to sign a deal limiting our AI reach into defense. And I cannot believe it. The one area where we have a clean and distinct lead, whether to underwater technology and, and, and our subs, and then AI. Who is running this, Chairman? Who is running this summit? It's not Joe Biden. No, here's what's happened over the last two years. The, the more dovish members of the administration, uh, John Kerry, Janet Yellen, uh, and others, seem to be winning out over the more hawkish members of the administration, whether it's certain DOD officials like Eli Ratner or certain National Security Council officials like Tarun Chabra. I also think there's something else that explains this behavior, where we limit action and we thereby give China an advantage in the hopes that somehow – they're going to play nice despite decades of evidence and recent evidence that when we pull our punches, they get more aggressive. So, for example, you know, we send our commerce secretary over to China. What do the Chinese do? They hack the emails of the commerce secretary. Right. Uh, we've had no uh, meaningful transparency into things like the spy balloon incident, the origins of covid. The list goes on and on. Um, but lurking in the background of this, I wonder, is just the the president's uh, weak position politically his desire not to rock the boat economically heading into an election and the perception that if we provoke China, it could hurt us and thereby hurt the president's electoral prospects. I hate to be cynical, but I've sort of tried to find an alternative explanation, and that's that's the one uh, I've arrived at. If you read Jake Sullivan's foreign affairs piece as well, uh, and the original the one, infamous. The original yes, one. exactly. The original one where they claim credit for the Middle East being, you know, calmer than at any time in recent history and progress on Middle East peace issues. And then, of course, they got mugged by reality on October 7th uh, in Gaza and Israel. But he also at the end has a, a short uh, section where he says we have areas where we need to cooperate with China, where our interests align. And he specifically calls out A.I., I'm starting to see this narrative appear, not only from the administration, but from some prominent voices like Elon Musk, who have said that when it comes to AI, the Chinese Communist Party is on team humanity. Uh, and the theory is that because AI could pose a risk to the regime itself, they have an interest in working with us on sensible regulation. I find this to be incredibly naive because, of course, the CCP is on team genocide, not team humanity, but also there's no question that if they dominate this technology, if they control the commanding heights of AI, quantum, synthetic biotech, and a few other key technologies, they will use it for evil. They will use it to further perfect their techno-totalitarian regime 
and then export that model of governance around the world. I worry that this is going to become the new sort of climate change, the thing that, you know, smart center left people can say, well, here's where we can work with the CCP, even as we're competing in other areas. But the result is that we, we don't attack this with a sense of urgency and they expand their influence at the expense of our interests. I love that term, techno-totalitarians. We're going to steal that from you, Congress. But I want to close with this. In the, uh, the discussion yesterday on Comfortably Smug, Ambassador Haley put forward the proposition that we need to have identification of people who use social media. Now, I don't believe she means that online. I mean, she, she means it at the gateway because she's after the China bots, the Russia bots, the Iranian bots, the terror bots. And I agree with her on that. But a lot of conservatives immediately rile up and they say, look at the Twitter files. We can't trust people with our IDs. What do you think is the appropriate resolution between national security and the First Amendment? Well, the, the first thing to say is, in light of the question you asked at the debate on TikTok, I want to make sure that we don't conflate the sort of thorny issue of American social media companies and the privacy issues that are bound up in those questions and also this set of issues around Section 230 and whether social media companies should be liable for what's posted on their platform and, and an entirely separate issue in my mind, which is foreign ownership, foreign adversary control of a social media company in America. There's no question in my mind that you can legally, practically preclude a hostile foreign adversary from controlling a tech or social media company in America without getting into all the thorny free speech or privacy issues. So I just don't want to see those two things conflated. One small step that has always made sense to me when it comes to our social media companies here in America, if we're concerned about Chinese bots and disinformation and all that stuff, and this really, I think, is much smaller than what Ambassador Haley is presenting, why, as a matter of basic reciprocity, do we allow hostile foreign regimes like the Chinese Communist Party to have their apparatchiks, their propagandists, have accounts and spread anti-American propaganda all over these platforms when, of course, these platforms are not allowed in China, right? Your average Chinese citizen can't get on X, and yet every wolf warrior diplomat is on X saying that the pandemic started at an American lab and saying that America is a systemically racist place. That's never made sense to me at all. A broader thing I think we need to consider is data portability, basically for people to own their data and be able to take it from one platform to another. I actually think that would create more competition over time. So uh, just a few thoughts, and I'll admit I have not reviewed Ambassador Haley's proposal in depth. Coming up. Responding to President Obama. Nobody's hands are clean. That all of us are complicit. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Our nation has a long history of what you could call presidential etiquette. 
Each president, as he exits the stage and returns to private life, steps aside, lets his successor lead without the benefit of the predecessor's critique. President Obama has set that pattern aside. Appearing on a panel of Pod Save America earlier this month, President Obama's comments on Israel caught the attention of many because he used code that is anti-Israel. If you want to solve the problem, then you have to take in the whole truth. And you then have to admit nobody's hands are clean, that all of us are complicit to some degree. I look at this and I think back, what could I have done during my presidency to move this forward as hard as I tried? I've got the scars to prove it. Victor Davis Hanson, now the Giles O'Malley Distinguished Visiting Professor at Pepperdine's Graduate School of Public Policy, responded on the VDH podcast. Joining VDH was Mike Fowler. The puppeteers are coming out now. Barack Obama, they sense weakness on the part of Biden, and they're thinking, you know what? We got to get rid of him. He's no longer an effective vehicle for the Obama third term. Obama's, that's his term, not mine. He said this is his virtual third term. So now we understand he's taking credit. You notice, Sammy, he's bragging that he's writing the agenda for artificial intelligence. Make sure that it's going to be left-wing dominated. So he's doing that, and now he's weighing in, as he always does, about the Middle East, because he sees that Biden's very unpopular. And what does he say? We're all guilty. We all are part of this. No, our listeners, all of you people out there are not guilty. You didn't dream up this suicidal Middle East pact. One person is guilty. One person brought the Russians in in 2011, and that was Barack Obama, because he was scared to enforce his own red lines in Syria. So he brought the Russians in after 40 years, and they've done nothing but create mischief. One person was president when a million Iranians hit the street in the Green Revolution. He didn't say a word for two weeks, almost, because he didn't. He wanted them to fail because he was pro-theocratic Iran. One person got out of obscurity, Robert Malley, was completely unfit and a pro-Iranian zealot, and he made, Obama made him his Hamas and ISIS czar. One person yanked everybody out of, of Iraq without warning and created ISIS that gobbled up half the country until Trump bombed the crap out of them. One person started the Iran deal and had this Ben Rhodes said, they, you know, he made an echo chamber and he got some rhino Republicans to go along with circ- circumventing the treaty obligations. He didn't get two thirds approval from the Senate for that crazy Iran deal that guaranteed them a pathway until Trump got rid of it. One person That was Obama. He had the idea of the Shia Crescent. If you have Tehran and you have Damascus and Beirut and Gaza City, you've got yourself a foil to the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Emirates, the Israelis, the Egyptians, to all of our so-called friends. We'll just play them off against each other. They're, They're morally the same. That was a disaster. One person allowed all this money to go to Lebanon that came into Hezbollah's hands and all this money to the PA in Gaza. One person lifted sanctions and gave $50 billion war chest for Iran to sprinkle deadly weapons all over the Middle East. That was you, Barack. You did that. You created the foundation of this mess that we're in. So don't blame anybody else, as you always do. You always blame people for your own self-created miseries. It's despicable. And he thinks he's going to get resonance because he thought he was going to be so cool dialing in the presidency. And believe me, listeners, I didn't make that up. He said that. 
in an interview in December of 2020, as I recall, they asked him, would you like to be a president again? Well, you know, I wouldn't want all the work and the cell ceremony, but if I could just kind of work out my sweats, kind of dial in the instructions to a, a surrogate president, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. And now he can't dial it in because the guy on the other end doesn't know who he is. So what he has to do, he has to go out in public now, and he's so self-unaware. He's so narcissistic and arrogant. He doesn't understand that the reason that Joe Biden is polling below 40 percent, the reason is that Joe Biden continued his bankrupt policies. And he doesn't understand that until the last year of his presidency, he was polling where Joe Biden was. And then he got smart. And he said, if I just abdicate and cut my Netflix and memoir deals, I can make 200 million bucks while I'm president. And then I'll wave to everybody from the golf course with my cutoffs and my shades. And I'll let the two most unpopular people in the United States, Hillary and Trump, just dominate the news as they tear each other down. And then I'll be above it all. And sure enough, he left office with over 50 percent approval. It was brilliant what he did, but he made a mistake. He mistook that phenomenon as if they liked what he did. They didn't. Yeah. So now he's coming back. And what are you saying, Barack? You gave us the border. Yeah, you did. You gave us the decriminalization idea. Yeah, you did. You gave us the appeasement overseas. Yeah, you did. You gave us Stephen Chu and the New Green Deal. And we want gas prices at Europe. Yeah, you did. You did. You wanted to get that. You wanted to turn up the racial animosity. Trayvon's the son. You ever had that would have looked like you the whole beer summit we remember all of that you did it you did it you can get the podcast of victor davis hansen at the salem podcast network coming up they're confident in their own society what's shaking their confidence is watching what's happening over here when the town hall review with hugh hewitt returns in a moment as the pepperdine graduate school of public policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year Please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for a 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Dan Senor is a name that some of you might remember from the George W. Bush era. Since then, he's been active on the center right here in the States. But he's also been very engaged with his fellow Jewish leaders in Israel. His podcast, Call Me Back, has been a go-to for me, helping me stay abreast of all that is going on in Israel after 10-7 in their war in Gaza. Senor was a guest of Dennis Prager. You're in New York City? I am. I know this will sound awful, but I want to say I don't envy you. 
Is that a fair reaction? You'll appreciate this. I, as I'm sure you have too, I've been speaking to a lot of my Israeli friends in Israel since October 7th. And the, there's been like an arc to those conversations, which began with me on October 7th, 8th, 9th, checking in with them. How you doing? Trying to be supportive, you know, trying to comfort them as they go through this trauma. That that was like the first few days. And then in recent weeks, it's migrated to something completely different. When I say, when I check in with them and say, how are you doing? They say, we'll be okay. Don't worry about us. We'll be okay. We, we, we have a war. This is awful. This is horrific. But we know how to fight wars. We'll fight this war. We'll be okay. We're worried about you. We're worried about you guys. We're worried about American Jews. We're worried about what we're seeing in New York City. We're worried about what's happening on college campuses. What on earth is going on in your corner of the world? Don't worry about us. We can handle this. But what we're witnessing over happening in the United States, that's what's shaking their confidence. They're confident in their own young men and women who are on the front lines. What's shaking their confidence is watching what's happening over here. That is one powerful response. You you wrote this for the New York Post. The New York Post today has a piece about hundreds of kids let out in Brooklyn from school to march against Israel, against Zionism, and among their chants was F the Jews. Hundreds of kids. Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It's everywhere, Dennis. It's everywhere here. Um, I mean, I can give you story after story. Yeah, yeah. So I think and it's my worth kids, it. my kids go to a Jewish day school. I mean, I never thought I'd see the day that I watch my kids go to a Jewish day school with NYPD guard, NYPD cars outside the day school. Every Jewish day school, every Jewish institute, institute in the city is in some form or another a target or a prospective target. I'm not saying there's actual intelligence of a target, but just that sense of there's there's Jew hunting going on. That's what it is. There's Jew hunting going on in the West. And and I and when I use that term, people say, oh, you're being demagogic. Oh, you're being histrionic. Oh, really? I mean, last week was the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht. Now, there was a campaign in certain corners to go out and start vandalizing the property of Jewish-owned businesses last week. In some cases, on the exact day, that anniversary of Kristallnacht's beginning. Let me just tell everybody, Kristallnacht is the night of the broken glass. Kristall is glass. Nacht is night. So the, the night of the glass... When they, when throughout Germany they shattered Jewish stores, beat Jews up, and and looted their uh, their property. Go ahead. In 1938, so this was an early sign of what was to come. Right. Uh, and uh, and so the bookstore chain in largest bookstore chain in Toronto, in Canada owned or the CEO of which is Jewish. Uh, they they go and they vandalize. The bookstores they splash blood all over the place. They put photos of the. By the way, who CEO. is the they usually? The, it's a great question. There, there are these mobs of it's it's a mix of things. It's it's a mix of it's young 
I don't know, call them students, I don't know, young activists who don't seem particularly involved with or identified with causes involving the Middle East. So somehow they're people who I normally don't associate with these issues who get swept up in it or uh, or activists that are involved with the Students for Justice in Palestine or other organizations that are affiliated. And um, and so they in Toronto, they they went and they splattered blood all over uh, these, these stores and they put up signs of photos of the CEO and instead of calling her CEO, they called her CGO as in chief genocide officer. And I don't quite see how she's the chief genocide officer of anything. She runs a bookstore chain. Uh, they did it at stores here in New York. Obviously, I, I'm sure you've seen what's happened at MIT in Boston. Um, no, I didn't. All, what happened at they, MIT? They, 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 they basically made it impossible for Jewish students to go to class and studying to the point that the administration had to all but tell Jewish students you know, maybe today's not a good day to go to class. My, my, my only point is it used to be there was ugly criticism of Israel. And the critics, those critics of Israel, who I would in my by my standards, they will have crossed the line, would say, no, no, it's not anti-Semitism. It's just criticism of Israel. And they were very sensitive about being stigmatized with a blurring between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism or criticism of Israel and anti-Semitism. Now they, they're they not worried about the stigma. To the contrary, they embrace it, that the stigma is the point, that Kristallnacht is the point, that the association and the anniversary of Kristallnacht is the point. That, that's what, when I, my Israeli friends look at what's going on here, that's what they're struck by, you know, from the river to the sea. They know what that means. After October 7th, Dennis, I was floored that the outrage against Israel began before Israel even responded to mm-hmm. October 7th. Mm-hmm. The outrage began before that. Yeah, And then once Israel made it clear it was going to do something to respond, as any country on the planet would do if there was a genocidal attack from an enemy on your border, Israel hadn't even really responded. They just made clear they were going to respond. Then the outrage cranked up even higher with these protests and everything. And it was like as though people were outraged that the Jews objected to being slaughtered. How dare you? And then Israel said, well, as a matter of self-defense, we have to take out Hamas. And then some leaders said, okay, that's fine. You can take out Hamas, but don't hit any hospitals or civilian areas. And Israel said, okay, but you, you do know that the hospitals and the civilian areas are deliberately co-located with the enemy we have to take out deliberately co-located by the enemy you're basically saying is we can't hit hamas coming up everybody in israel feels that they have a role they have a part to play more with dan senor in the final segment of the town hall review with hugh hewitt Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. 
Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. How do individuals, communities, and nations respond to hardships? The answer to that question says something significant about us. Israel today, no doubt about it, is in a time of hardship. Let's pick up on the conversation of Dennis Prager with Dan Senor. Dan's new book is Prescient, The Genius of Israel, The Surprising Resilience of a Divided Nation in a Turbulent World. There was less suicide and depression in America during World War II than today. Hardship is not the cause of depression. Meaninglessness is. So the first one is a quote by Sebastian Younger, who's not Jewish. He says, humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. That quote to me says so much because because Israel is one of the happiest places in the world, literally, according to the UN. That's the UN right. does the ranking. Yep. Nicest thing the UN has ever said about Israel. The UN ranks countries based on happiness, and Israel in 2023, it's been top 10 for years, but in 2023... By the way, uh, Gaza, just for the record, is in the top 130. Right, exactly. So Israel's number four. It's interesting, like, why is Israel so happy when you look at events right now, and you look at versions of events right now that Israel has had to experience in some form or another throughout its history? Happiness is not about the easy life. Happiness is not derived based on lots of creature comforts and being taken care of. Happiness comes from feeling like you have a purpose, like you have a reason to get out of bed in the morning, that you're necessary. And in Israel, if, if we weren't, didn't call Israel startup nation, we'd call it necessary nation. Everybody in Israel feels that they have a role. They have a part to play. That's what's significant in that New York Post piece, which is an excerpt from the book, which is one of the important things about national service in Israel is Israelis feel like I have something to contribute. I have a role to play. It's larger than me. It's not all about me. That's an important theme that explains the health of Israeli society, the happiness of Israeli society, and the resilience of Israeli society. It's a small country with a big story. It's small, but what happens there really matters. What happens there, it's like it's a, sto- it's, a, it's a country and a story with biblical proportions, not only going back 2,000 years, but God willing, forward 2,000 years. And so every Israeli says this place is big in the scheme of things. What we debate and deal with here is not just about the quality of life. It's about the essence of life. And yet the country is small enough that everybody has a role. When everybody feels necessary, everybody feels that the story and the purpose of the country matters, and everybody feels that they can do something to touch it, shape it, move it forward, I think it's incredibly empowering. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Catch up on earlier episodes of this program at our website, townhallreview.com. Sign up for a daily dose of the best in talk radio. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan, Harley Eide, Alex Perez, Adam Ramsey, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for joining us.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.